Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire, where we try to give a Bible answer to your Bible question, because God's Word is the final authority. It is the only authority in religion. And so when we ask a Bible question, we're going to let the Bible give the answer. Actually, last week, we were talking about what it means to give a Bible answer. It seems that some people don't understand really what giving a Bible answer means. For example, we mentioned how that on our April 28th program, we had a caller ask us about whether Noah's flood was global or local. In other words, did the flood of Noah's day cover all of the earth? It was just a local flood. This caller said the, quote, Bible answer man, which is Hank Hanegraaff, had said the flood was local. And, and Hank's reason was, according to this caller, he says, because if it were global, where did all the water go? So Hank Hanegraaff, according to the caller, I, I didn't hear it myself, but the caller said that Hank Hanegraaff said that the flood was local. But what does the Bible say? Is that a Bible answer? Well, we read a passage last week. Let's read another passage this week. Let's read from Genesis 8-9. This is after the rains have stopped. You'll remember that Noah sent out a dove. And Genesis 8, 9 says, But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him in the ark. So the Bible says that the waters were on the face of the whole earth, not just part of the earth, not a local flood, but a global flood. Now, Who's giving you a Bible answer? The person that says, no, the flood was just local? Or a person that says, Genesis 8, chapter 8, verse 9, says that the waters were on the face of the whole earth. You see, saying that the waters were over the face of the whole earth, that's a Bible answer. That's a Bible answer. And that's what we mean by giving a Bible answer on this program. We're not going to give you what we think or use our human reasoning to try to figure out what the truth is. We're going to tell you what God actually says because what God said in the Bible is the answer to the question, the final answer, as they say on game shows. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, 877-655-755. So we were talking about last week about some different topics and what the Bible answer to those questions were. Let's continue that. What would be the Bible answer regarding infant baptism? That's a pretty controversial issue in our religious world today. What about infant baptism? If somebody were to ask you, is infant baptism scriptural, meaning is it found in the Bible or authorized by God's Word, what would be the Bible answer to that? Well, let's start by by uh, reading what the Methodist Discipline says, the Methodist Creed book. The Methodist Discipline in 1956 on page 31 says, The baptism of young children is to be retained in the church. So regarding baptizing infants, that is an answer. They say the baptism of young children is to be retained in the church. But is that a Bible answer? Is that the Bible answer? That's the Methodist Church's answer. The answer is yes, we ought to have infant baptism. But is that the Bible answer? Well, let's read in Acts chapter 8 to find out the Baptist, the Bible answer. 
You'll remember in verse 35, the Bible says that Philip is preaching Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. And, the, and it, preaching Jesus must have included something about baptism, because we read in 36 of Acts 8, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they come upon some water. The eunuch requests to be baptized. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Well, what does that imply about a person who does not believe with all his heart? That he may not be baptized. That's what the Bible teaches in many places, that you have to be a believer first, and then you're baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. So you have to be a believer first. If you believe, you may be baptized, implies that if you don't believe, you may not. That's the Bible answer to this question, is infant baptism scriptural? Now, the Methodist Church gives you an answer. The baptism of young children is to be retained in the church, but that's not a Bible answer. The Bible answer is, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized. Meaning that if a person is not a believer, which there are no infants who are believers, they may not be baptized. Infant baptism, therefore, is shown to be unscriptural. According to this verse and others that we're not going to take the time to read over right now because we're going to move on to the next question. But if you have a Bible question or comment, 877 877- Six five five six seven five five eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. While we're talking about baptism, what would be the Bible answer regarding the necessity of baptism to salvation? We talked about last week the mode of baptism, how it ought to be immersion. We just got through talking about how the infants are not scriptural candidates for baptism because they don't believe. But what's the purpose of baptism? What's the reason for baptism? Well, what about this? the following quote on the necessity of baptism by a famous missionary Baptist debater, Ben Bogart? He said, The scriptures teach, and I'm quoting, The scriptures teach that the sinner obtains remission of his sins and answer to prayer before baptism. Did you catch what he said? He said, The scriptures, or the Bible, teach that the sinner obtains remission of his sins and answer to prayer before baptism. So Mr. Bogard, this famous Baptist debater, is saying that a person receives the remission of his sins before he's baptized in answer to prayer. So baptism, obviously, then, is not essential to salvation, according to Ben Bogard, this famous Baptist debater. But is that a Bible answer? What is the Bible answer to this question? Is, and the question is, is baptism necessary to salvation? Ben Bogart says no. He says you get forgiveness of sins and answer to prayer before baptism. But what is the Bible answer to this question? Well, we've already mentioned Mark 16, 16, where Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. What two things do you have to do according to Jesus, according to that verse, in order to be saved? Believe and be baptized. It takes both. For example, if a person is baptized but not a believer, like an infant, he's not going to be saved because it says you have to believe and be baptized to be saved. Or if a person believes but is not baptized, he's not going to be saved either because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I think that gives us a Bible answer to this question. 
is baptism necessary to salvation? But let's talk about the example of Saul of Tarsus for a minute. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. And we remember the story of Saul. He was persecuting Christians, but he was sincere, and the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Now I want to read to you Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. And we're going to show from this passage that Saul believed on the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Here we are reading Acts 9, verse 3, beginning. Talking about Saul, it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, talking about Saul at this point, verse 6, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So the Lord appeared miraculously to Saul. He said, Why are you persecuting me? Who art you, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And he says, Saul did, Lord, what will you have me to do? So obviously he believed in the Lord at this point. And then in verse 11, you'll remember from what we just read, Ananias was going to be sent to tell Paul what to do. In verse 11 of Acts 9, it says, The Lord said unto him, talking to Ananias, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. So we learn from this text that not only has Saul believed in Christ, that he's here praying. Now remember, Ananias doesn't get to Saul until at least three days after he believes. At least three days after Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul believes on on Christ on the road to Damascus, and here he is praying. Now if Ben Bogard, the famous debater, was right about this question, Saul would have been saved at that point. Because he said, Ben Bogard, that the remission of sins is obtained in answer to prayer before baptism. Here we have Saul of Tarsus, who believes on Christ, Acts 9, 3 through 6. He's praying, Acts 9, verse 11. But is he saved from his sins at that point? Obviously not. Acts 22, verse 16, when Ananias finally gets there, he tells Saul what to do. He says, and now why tarriest thou? We would say, what you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so he says, his sins were not forgiven on the road to Damascus three days before that. They were not forgiven in answer to prayer before baptism, as Ben Bogart said, the famous Baptist debater. But he was told to do something to get his sins washed away. He was told to be baptized to get his sins washed away. And so we see that the Bible answer to that question, is baptism necessary to salvation? The answer, the Bible answer, is yes. David from Louisiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. Uh, this is direct office to Hebrews, uh, I believe it's chapter uh, 4, verses 6 through 10, about those who have once been enlightened, tasted the gift okay. of the Holy Spirit, and watched mm-hmm. with the Lord. Um, I had a, uh, a brother-in-law who's, who's since passed away, and he uh, made a commitment of faith, lived a Christian life for a couple of years, and then several ways through substance abuse and it since died and I was wondering if um, if the salvation was assured if it was a fake 
What happens in those cases? What's your thoughts on that? I can't comment about that case individually, any certain person. But let me read you a couple of passages. These happen to be, David, on the outline I'm already going over because the, one of the next questions I was going to get to is what is the Bible answer regarding once saved, always saved? Now, re, let me let you listen to these two passages, David, and tell me if you think that once saved, always saved is true. First of all, James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Did you catch what that said, David? A little bit, but yeah, I'm sure you're going to explain it. Well, yeah, maybe it's kind of hard when just listening to it without uh, seeing it with your own eyes. But it's basically talking to brethren. It, is, it's, it says if, if one of you errs from the truth, that it's our job to try to convert him back. That if we convert him back from the air of his way, we save a soul from death. And so what that implies is, is that if we fail to convert him back, let's say he refuses to be converted back, his soul dies. He's lost. And this is talking about brethren who have erred from the truth. And so it's possible, according to this passage, David, for a Christian to err from the truth and his soul die and he'd be lost. Do you follow what I'm saying? That really flies on the face of some other scriptures that I could quote you that uh, claim that you're saved by calling on the name of the Lord and there are none that will be able to take you out of your, out of your hand. So that, that's a little bit scary thinking that a Christian could lose their salvation. For, uh, because as far as, you know, unless I'm wrong, the only way to lose, truly lose your salvation is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that we find in the, in the book of Revelation. Here's an, uh, this passage of James 5 says you lose your salvation if you err from the truth. And Galatians 5, 4 basically says you fall from grace if you try to be justified by the Old Testament law. Here's how Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 reads. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. And so, you, you, David, you can't fall from a tree if you never were in that tree to begin with. You can't fall from grace if you never were in grace to begin with. And Galatians 5.4 makes it clear that, these, that it was possible for these people to fall from grace if he tried to be justified by the Old Testament law. That's just what it says. Right. I'm not talking about the Old Testament law, but what you're saying there, what it appear, applies to me is, is that as Christians, if we fell from grace, if we have a, a sin issue or a struggle or something that we can't get a hold of, that you're saying that we can have losing our salvation because we were never, we never were in grace in the first place. Because if we were in grace, grace, then why would we have a sin problem? Is that what you're saying? I. Not exactly. I said if yeah. you cannot <laughs> fall from, you cannot fall from a tree unless you were in a tree to begin with. And this passage talks about people falling from grace. That means they were in grace at one point. They fell from grace. That means they were saved at that at one point, and they lost their salvation. Same with James 5, 19 and 20. Here we have people who are brethren, Christians. They err from the truth. If they're not converted back, the passage says that they their soul will die. They'll be lost. And so it's definitely true that a Christian who... We don't. When a person becomes a Christian, he doesn't all of a sudden become a robot. He still has free will. If he chooses to, that. if he chooses to leave the Lord, he's going to lose his salvation. Let me give an example of some people who did. Hebrews chapter three verse one 
says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So the person, the people that are being addressed here are holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. That can only be a Christian. So he says in verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so this shows that it's possible for a, a brother in Christ, one who has been a partaker of the heavenly calling, one who is saved, to develop an evil heart of unbelief, I'm quoting the verse, and depart from the living God. You see that, David? That's Hebrews 3, 1 and 12. I, I see that, but what about people like the prodigal son? And yes, I agree with you that if you choose to walk away from the Lord, if you if you were if you were uh, if you were converted, baptized, and been serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and choose to walk away from the Lord and completely deny Him, then I can see the point where you're saying, if God doesn't have uh, it, it, it doesn't have me in, you know, if I don't have God in my life, then when I die without that, then I have to worry about eternal judgment. I can see that point walking away, but if you're truly saved, you would never walk away in the first place. But this is talking it, about this is talking about people who are truly saved in Hebrews three one, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, and it says they walked away. They departed from the living God. So that's right. not true. You can we're have gonna, people who are Go ahead, David. Gonna we're, we're gonna have to disagree here, Patrick, because I think what you're teaching is scary that scares Christians mm-hmm. into I could lose my salvation. There yeah. are a lot well, of there are a lot of verses out there that say different and I don't believe and I find it hard to believe. I've been, I'm a Messianic Jew, uh, is, is, is where I come from. I find it very hard to believe that Christ going to the cross, us putting our faith and hope in, in his shed blood on the cross for our salvation, that if we err from grace because we struggle with drugs or pornography or, or some sort of issue like that, that it would cause us to lose our salvation. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that I serve and, and worship. And I, I really... This type of teaching David, can be quite dangerous. Thank you for your call. Keep listening to the program. Of course, David gives his own, own human reasoning, but he exemplifies what we're talking about on this program. He gave his own human opinion. He said, he said basically, I just don't believe a person's going to be lost even if he gets into drugs and things like that. But we actually read the Bible verses that prove that a person can be lost. David said, well, if a person's truly saved, he won't depart from God. But here we read in Hebrews 3, 1 and 12, people who were truly saved who did depart from God. That's the difference in a man-made answer, what David gives, his own human opinion, the way he wants it to be, the way he thinks it ought to be, and what God actually said. We gave you the verses that prove that once saved, always saved is not true. That's what we mean by giving a Bible answer. It's not what we want or what we think it ought to be, as David gave you, without giving a scripture that proves anything. There are no verses that prove once saved, always saved. Not a single one in the Bible, but I jokingly say that I can find at least one verse on every page of the Bible that proves once saved, always saved is false. That may be an exaggeration, but it's it's close. It's all over the Bible. Once saved, always saved is false. You know, something related to that, once saved, always saved, because people believe in once saved, always saved. Sometimes they believe that because they believe in salvation is by faith only. But what is the Bible answer regarding whether salvation is by faith only or it takes, that is salvation, 
trust and obedience. Not just trust, but trust and obedience. What's the Bible answer? Well, again, the Methodist Church Articles of Religion said, Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is the most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. So the Methodist Church says we're justified by faith only. But notice what James 2.24 says. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So who's giving you the Bible answer? The Methodist Church or the Scriptures? The Methodist Church says we're justified by faith only. And if you want a copy of my outline, just ask for it. Look, and by the way, I have a friend that's made a new website for me. It's called BibleCrossfire.com. You can go there to BibleCrossfire.com. You can send me an email to ask me any Bible question or make a comment about the program. You can listen to prior programs. We have all the archive programs there at BibleCrossfire.com. You send me an email and request this outline, and I'll give you the where the Methodist Church says that we're justified by faith only and where the Bible says, well, it's in James 2.24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So what's the Bible answer to the question, is a man saved by faith only? It's James 2.24. It's not by faith only. That's what we mean when we say we need to give a Bible answer to Bible questions. Benjamin from Kentucky, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I just had a comment on your last caller, how he didn't believe in like falling from grace. I was just going to say, well, look how many times Israel in the Old Testament fell away from um, God and how like which just proves that man's love is not perfect if you're going to say man can't fall from grace you got to say man's love is perfect and we know man is not perfect in any shape size or form and um, oh and then the faith only um, Ephesians 2 8 and 9 does not have the word only or alone in it I just wanted to make those two comments Benjamin that's a very good point that's that's one way we can figure out why Ephesians 2 8 9 and James 2.24 don't contradict. Uh, Ephesians 2.8.9 doesn't say we're saved by faith only. And James 2.24 says we're not saved by faith only. That's a very good point. And the illustrations you get from the Old Testament are also very good illustrations, Benjamin. Thank you for your call. Have a good evening. Bye. Hey, Benjamin, if you get a chance, go to BibleCrossFire.com and send me an email. There's a thing right at the top that tells you how to send an email to me. Okay, I sure will. Thank you. Thank you, Benjamin. Scott from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question and comment, please. Yeah, uh, I was uh, the one I, I was concerning eternal security. Uh, there, there's a, a passage in about First John two nineteen that says uh, they went out from us, but they were not with us. For if they had been with us, they would no doubt remain, remain with us. My, mm-hmm. my question is, if somebody was truly saved, uh, the way I interpret that verse, if they were truly saved, they would not. Uh, they would never have walked away to begin with. Am I interpreting that correctly or not? Well, uh, I would say, Scott, I think you are interpreting correctly, except this is not talking about every person. This is talking about some particular people. And it says that they went out from us, and that showed that they were not ever of them. But that's not necessarily true of everybody. That's not necessarily true of everybody. We read in Hebrews 3, Verse 1, where it's talking about holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Does that sound like a Christian, uh, Scott? Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling? Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah, because only a Christian is a partaker of the heavenly calling. So it goes on and talks about these same brethren in verse 12. It says, take heed, brethren, 
lest there be in any, any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So it shows the possibility of these holy brethren, brethren developing the evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So first, so Scott, First John 2.19 does say these people, these particular people were not of them. They had never become Christians to begin with. But that doesn't say the same thing about everybody. Here we have in Hebrews 3 clearly some brethren who departed from God. You follow what I'm saying, Scott? Yes, I do. Scott, thank you for your call. Go to BibleCrossFire.com and send me an email, and let's talk further throughout the week, okay? Okay, thank you. And so we need to learn to give a Bible answer. When person asks us a Bible question, let's don't give them what we think it ought to be, the answer ought to be. Or how we would want it to be, like like one or two of our callers did. Let's actually give them the Bible answer to their question. We'll probably try to take up and talk about some more subjects on the on this theme next week. Go to BibleCrossFire.com at the very top. Click on that. Send me an email. And let's talk further throughout the week via email. <laughs>